The views expressed on this program do not reflect the views of the staff, management, or licensee of this station. This is 91.7 FM WHUS Stores. I am Pedlin Ron, and you are listening to Bicycle Talk. It's June 27, 2022, to be rebroadcast on WHUS 91.7 FM and WHUS.org on June 29th. 2022 uh, at our normal times. Welcome to Bicycle Talk without my friendly co-host, the lovely Dr. France Storch. She has decided to go off to work today. Well, she has to do the work thing because she's going out to the Cape to ride her bike over the over the next couple of days. So um, anyway, it's kind of one of her annual excursions out there. And so she will be uh, joining our friend Dave out there and they're going to go do some bike riding on the Cape, which is very, very nice and good for her. I am going to stay back here and do my thing. So anyway, uh, Bicycle Talk is a show where we talk about bicycles, bicycle culture, bicycle advocacy, the upcoming news and cycling, the bicycle business, and the bicycle calendar. If you have a comment or you'd like to contribute information to the show, you can send me an email at bicycletalk, the numeral one, at gmail.com. Or if you are watching this on Facebook Live right now, you can just comment right down here on the bottom and you can let me know what's going on. I may or may not be able to get back to you because I don't have Fran with me today. So um, if I if I catch your comment, I'll try to do something about it. But anyway, uh, so you can also listen to our shows on Wednesday at WHUS at 91.7 FM at our normal times. You can listen to past episodes of Bicycle Talk on whus.org, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast outlet. Ron's rant of the week. Oh boy, why is there always a rant? There's always a rant, right? That's the way it works here on Bicycle Talk. We got a rant about something. Well, here we go again. It's always it's always the same old thing because we have this issue here in this uh, car-centric country of ours about uh, cars and trucks and bicycles and the other thing that goes on. So anyway, there's a, uh, a study here, and this was on uh, ABC. So it was ABC News work on this. Uh, SUVs, pickup trucks hit pedestrians more often than cars do. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, the big, big, fat vehicles that we are making uh, have a little bit more of a problem with visibility and the visibility factor. I will get into this actually a little bit further into the show on my bicycle tips, um, maintenance minute and bicycle tips, because uh, it, it, this is why it happens. It'll explain a little bit more about why it happens and how you, can, how you can make sure that it doesn't happen to you when you're out riding your bike. But drivers of big vehicles, such as pickup trucks and SUVs, are more likely to hit pedestrians while making turns than drivers of cars, according to a new study. It's not a real new study. This came out back in, oh, I don't know, probably March or April of this year. But uh, the link between the vehicle types and certain common pedestrian crashes points that another way that that um, the increase in SUVs on the roads might be changing the crash picture. It's not a crash. It's an accident. It's not an accident. It's actually a big, well, and don't even get me going. I'm not going to go there. Anyway, a uh, study mentioned previous research showing blind spots caused by the A pillars between the windshield and the cabin. The author said the study is that there's a study that's needed to take, uh, to link the blind spots to the increased deaths. How about we just make the car smaller? 
why does it have to be so darn big? It's it's so big, and then they make them these massive A pillars, which is a separation of the. Um, it's the metal piece that separates the the windshield from the the passenger side door or the driver's side door, and it puts a big blind spot out there. And so people, if you're um, of a normal sized person that is either walking or riding your bicycle, you get blocked out completely. They can't see you. So that is a problem. So that's my rant of the week. That's where I'm going with it. I'm not going to go any further because that's probably enough to say. Uh, it's just really kind of, um, you know, it's it's by design. That's the thing we have to understand here is that um, these vehicles are designed for certain things and they're, they're not designed for anybody on the outside of the vehicle. They're only designed for people on the inside of the vehicle or the inside of their ego or whatever it is that makes them buy these gigantic things. Now, uh, shout out to my friends that are in the construction business. I, I get it. You need the truck. It's a work vehicle. I get it. You know, it works for you. That's great. Why do the rest of us need them? That's another question. But anyway, on a positive side, I forgot to mention something last week. And it's kind of important, and it's important to me, and hopefully it's important to you guys too. But I forgot to mention that last week, my last week's episode of Bicycle Talk was episode number 300. Yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. So that means this show has been on the air for over five years. So it's been five years now at WHUS and in stores. And I have a big, big shout out to Fran Storch and Jason McMullen, who helped me make this happen. And Fran has had a radio, a radio show up there for years. And so she uh, was offered some extra time to... Uh, extend her show and make it a little bit longer. And she said, don't, don't, don't give me extra time. She said, give Ron a show. And she talked to Jason, who was the station manager. And he, uh, he said, well, sure. Well, what would Ron's show be? And she said, it'd be bicycle talk. He'll talk about bicycles. And Jason went, brilliant. That's great. So anyway, I'd like to thank them both. A big shout out to Fran Storch and Jason McMullen for making this happen. It's been a really good thing. It's been a nice ride at WHUS. So we really appreciate everything that the radio station does for the community and for the, for the, you know, University of Connecticut. It's a very nice thing. Okay. That's my positive side. Moving on. There, there's lots of other positive stuff out there, but that's where I'm going today. Mechanical minute and cycling tips. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about this a lot on the show, how to ride your bike safely in traffic. Well, you know, it's, uh, there's some base rules like assert your rights, you know, make your, claim your lawful space, you know, make yourself present on the road. On roads with wide shoulders, ride about two feet to the right of the white line. We don't have very many of those out this way. Um, so there is no two feet to the right white line, but you know, if you've got the room, give the room back. If the road doesn't have a shoulder, ride it in the traffic lane about a foot from the right edge. That's the big mistake that people don't understand right there because that's where it seems that um, drivers of motorized vehicles get a little upset because the bicycle is now out in their lane. It's the safest place for us to be and it's the safest place for us to be for you because, and I do this a lot, when I have a car coming up from behind and I see a car coming at me from, from the opposite direction, I will often get out in the lane a little bit further until the car coming 
towards me passes through and then I'll get over. And it just makes it safer for everyone that way. And they, I think people are starting to figure that out and understand it, but whatever. Um, and then, of course, it says beware of doors opening and beware of right turn motorists here. Uh, well, you know, that's more obvious stuff. But here's the part, this is the bottom line tip. And this is the tip that I really wanted to talk about. Don't pass slowing or stop traffic on the right. Yeah, yeah, you know that tendency we have as, as bike riders and we, we uh, get a whole bunch of traffic and, and then we just zip up along the right-hand side of the traffic and, you know, now we're, you know, three or four cars ahead of where they are or whatever it is. Uh, so let's rethink this, okay? Instead, merge left to get behind them or even further left to pass them on the left. Beware of motorists that pass you and then slow down enough for you to catch up and start passing them on the right because more often than not, they're slowing down in order to make a right turn. And that is where we run into this problem, which we discussed with the rant of the week. And when you're dealing with a vehicle the size of a pickup truck or an SUV, which they are, they are, it's, it's not a word, but I'm using it. They are ginormous in this country. Then, you know, they're not going to see you they can't see you over there. That's the big problem. They cannot see you. So, so you don't really want to get yourself in that position. So um, anyway, more often than not, they're ready to turn right. That's your cue to look back and merge left to pass them on the left. Don't shoot the gap. If you're passing stop cars on the right, beware of the possibility of a passenger door suddenly opening, especially if it's a taxi. Passing on the left with more than four feet of passing space is much safer and usually faster. So, you know, there's, there's my tip of the week. You know, it's just stay away from the right side of the vehicle. Stay away from the right side of the road. It's really a dangerous spot and you're putting yourself in a very, very dangerous position. If you're coming into an intersection, you're so much safer and there's much more of an awareness to traffic if you are in the center of the lane or to the left side of the lane. That way, people who are driving in motorized vehicles can see your intention a lot clearer. It's just, a, it's a it's a silent communication. It works really good. And um, that's, that's my tip. So I'm going to move on. We're going to go on to the content of the show. And this is in the interesting news and information department. That's what we're going to call this one. Uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> vehicle weight versus road damage. All right. So I found this great link and it goes to vehicle weight and road damage and it shows the, um, the typical size vehicles out there, a Toyota Highlander, which is a, a fairly large SUV, um, an average car. Um, and they're showing the weights of these and you're looking at 4,200 pounds. Uh, sorry about the metric conversion. I'm not real good at that. You guys over across the pond here, uh, the average car, 4,000 pounds, the RAV4, which would be your mini SUV size car, which would be 3,550 pounds. Your Prius, which is your little electric hybrid car, which everybody goes, well, it's just a little car. Well, they weigh 3,000 pounds because they got a lot of battery in them. So they're, they've got some weight. 
And then we go all the way down to something crazy like a, a smart car. And they're, they're like 1,800 pounds. And then here it is. There's the, the, the uh, politically incorrect thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. The fat man on a freakishly heavy bicycle, about 350 pounds. So what does this all mean? Well, what it means is I've been having some conversations with public works departments recently, just, just to, you know, just to ask the simple questions of, um, so what's road maintenance like these days? And they're all telling me that their maintenance schedules have had to be upped from what they used to do back in the day because of the fact that the roads are getting more beat up than they used to be because of the weights and their their feeling is is because of the weights and sizes of the vehicles that are out on the road right now they're actually destroying the pavement at a higher rate than they normally do so their maintenance schedules have had to be upped a little bit isn't that interesting so Let's go to the conclusion from this entire article that I had found, because that's where the really good information is here. The really good information is, and this was from Meg Dunn, and she's a, from a, an organization called the Colorado Bike Blogger. It would take 700 trips by a bicycle to equal the damage caused by one smart car. Remember that smart car? That smart car was like 1,500 pounds or 18, 1,800 pounds, right? So 700 trips to equal the damage caused by one smart car. It would take 17,059 trips by bike to equal the damage caused by an average car. And it would take 364,520 bicycle trips to equal the damage caused by just one Hummer H2. Remember those things? Absurd. I'm not just going to say remember those. I see they're back. I don't know who released the whole, you know, Hummer idea again, but I see Hummers out again. It's a little scary. Those things are just enormous. Once again, that's a military vehicle. It was designed as a military vehicle. It should be kept as a military vehicle. I don't think it really should be on our streets, but who am I to say? There's a lot of things that shouldn't be out in our open public that are and I'll leave it at that. Uh, so let's talk about this in terms of taxes because there's always a tax thing. And I, I think I'd mentioned this in the last week's show. So I talked about the, you know, the tax argument. Uh, well, I pay taxes, so therefore I belong on these roads, you know, sort of thing. And, you know, we all pay taxes. That's what we do. If you pay ta federal tax, you are paying taxes to get your highways taken care of. Uh, and by, way, by the way, your highways, your roads, the things you drive your cars on, yes, that is all part of the socialist theme of the United States. We have socialism here. That's what it is. But anyway, for sake of argument. So let's talk about it in terms of taxes. For the sake of argument, let's say that every 1,000 miles traveled, traveled in an average size car equals $1 worth of damage to the road. Okay, that will have to come out of the city coffers for repair work. A bicyclist would have to travel over 17 million miles to cause the same $1 worth of damage. On, or another way to look at it is that the $1 worth of damage that a car does to the road, a bicycle traveling the same distance on the same road would perpetrate 0.000586 worth of damage. 
that's about a tenth of a half a penny. <laughs> so the bicyclists don't pay taxes argument is the one you hear over and over again. Not only is this incorrect, but if road taxes were weighted, okay, you see what you see what we're doing here, right? To scale in proportion with road wear, bicyclists could pretty much pay for the roads with spare change. Actually, I'm sure it's not even that complicated. Roads do not last forever, even when they're never used. Um, entropy is a thing, after all. But it's almost completely true, especially when compared to a garbage truck. So there you go. Just, a, just kind of an interesting way to look at things. And why, you know, Pedal around here really feels that if we were to just all ride bicycles, the world would be a much better place. But that's, you know, that's a big argument, too, I'm sure. Sure would be like, It'd be more healthy and it would be less polluted and it would be happier you know um i, I what, what can i say that's that's just my feeling and i'm going to probably be talking about this until the day i am no longer on the earth but i will be pedaling my bicycle until the day i am no longer on the earth that's just the way it is so people's for bikes has just released we will move on from that people's for bike has just released it's sixth city ratings for the best U.S. cities for cycling, and this came through. Um, this came through uh, uh, a bicycle retailer and industry news magazine, and, and and this the beginning of this says Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is where Fran is going, by the way. Funny you should say that. Um, that's where she's heading off to this weekend, or this week. Um, she's taking a couple days off to go out to P-Town and go ride her bike around the Cape and, and staying at a friend's house. And it's really, really cool thing. But anyway, Provincetown has topped People for Bikes 2022 city ratings for the best U.S. city for biking. Year-long study was completed in conjunction with Trek, for, with Trek Bicycles. Okay, so ranked are 1,058 cities highlighting communities that embrace the bicycle as a tool for mobility, economic growth, and recreation, according to People for Bikes, which has conducted the research yearly uh, for the past six years. Cities are scored and ranked using a combination of People for Bikes network analysis and community survey, resulting in an overall score of 1 through 100. Provincetown received a rating of 81. Davis, California, 72, and uh, Fayetteville, Missouri, 71%. Fayetteville, Missouri, very interesting. But anyway, we move on to the People for Bikes site here, and we can get a little bit clearer picture here. So just so you know, um, the population of Provincetown, Massachusetts is 3,664 people. The median home value is $863,000. It's, you know, it's a tourist town resort town it's expensive out there and uh it says here the diversity index is 27 i'm not sure what that is talking about but apparently um has to do with racial diversity and uh male and female population etc um fayetteville missouri number two with a score of 71 population is 2803 people Medium home value, value median home value is one hundred and fifty-four thousand three hundred and forty-two dollars. Diversity index is forty-three, and number three on the list would be Crested Butte, Colorado, 
with a score of 70 and a population of 1,639 people, median home value, ouch, 1,040,000, oh my God. Uh, anyway, $1,040,586, diversity insect index is 20. Um, 1,639 people and their median home value is a million dollars. Ouch. I, I'm not going to be moving there anytime soon. And of course, Aspen, Colorado coming in fourth with a population of 7,000 people and a home value of $2.6 million. Nice, nice. People have a lot of money. Um, anyway, uh, Ashland, Wisconsin at number five, and that is a population of 7,908 people with 131, or let's call it $132,000 median home value. value. Those are the rankings for small cities under 50,000 people. That's what we're looking at. The median cities of... Um, Populations of 50,000 to 300,000. Number one is Davis, California. Have you ever been to Davis, California? I went to Davis, California many, many, many years ago. And this, uh, I'm trying to think. Sorry, I had to grab a drink there. Um, it's, uh, it's a college town. And it's in California. And the weather is like, really like, it's not like what we're having out here today. I'm getting, you probably can't hear the heavy rain in the background, but there's some heavy rain in the background. Anyway, um, it's, 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 a, it's a, a pretty well-populated college town. Got, there's a population of 66,000 people there. Um, the home value is ridiculous once again. Um, but they got a number one for cities of the 50 to 300,000 population. Number two was Berkeley, California, yet another college town. And number three was Boulder, Colorado, yet another college town. And, um, and all with ridiculous home prices, crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, number four was Ankeny, Iowa, A-N-K-E-N-Y. Never even heard of the place before. Um, and they um, were fourth on this list, and they have 67,000 people living there. And uh, Corvallis, Oregon, with 59,922 people, uh, they were number five. So that's in your, what they call, medium cities. And when you get to your large cities, now we're going to go for in excess of 300,000 people in population. Well, here it is. Brooklyn, New York, number one. <laughs> and uh, they have uh, probably uh, the highest, one of the highest diversity indexes, too. So they're, you know, it's definitely a much more mixed population. But they're number one in, in bicycle and bicycle infrastructure and all. San Francisco, California is number two. Seattle, Washington is number three. Queens, New York. Geez, Queens and Brooklyn. How about that? Queens, New York um, is number four. And Portland, Oregon is number five. Let's take the numbers from Queens, New York and Brooklyn, New York and put them together because Queens has 20, uh, what's the year? Uh, 2.4 million people living there. And Brooklyn has 2.7 million people living there. So there's a lot of people in there. And they're in the top they're all both in the top five, one, one being Brooklyn and four being Queens. So um, anyway, it's, 
it's an interesting story. It's definitely an interesting story about how these cities and towns are responding to uh, the the uh, way that they help people on bicycles, uh, increase bike lane usage, increase the ability for them to you know park their bikes, whatever, all the infrastructure things that really need to take place and make it safe for you to ride your bike. So um, anyway, I just figured I would share that with you because I thought that was kind of an interesting piece of information. And that comes from People for Bikes. And People for Bikes is um, a great little, they're a great little site if you're ever looking for um, cool information about bicycles in general. And that would be peopleforbikes.org is what you're going to find. And so anyway, fun stuff. Always fun stuff. Uh, so uh, let's see. What else have I got on the list here today? I've got, okay. Um, that was the direction. I, so I can't continue the show today without talking about a sensitive but a powerful political item. And I don't like to get too deep into political items on my show, but because I get, I have a lot of, uh, I have trolls. I'll admit it. I have trolls. My station manager, Jason, told me the first time I got my first troll on the uh, on the radio show, uh, I, I showed him a copy of an email that came in. It went directly to the radio station. And I, I said, Jason, I, I've got a problem. And he goes, what? And I said, I have a troll. And I had somebody that was complaining about the show. And he got this big beaming smile on his face and said, Ron, congratulations, you made it. Uh, so apparently trolls are, are something that is, if you have somebody who doesn't agree with you, then you've got somebody else listening from the other side and it's not such a bad thing. So we can all listen from both sides. I'm, I'm open-minded about this, but I do have to say that there is, um, there's a, a very sensitive issue which has happened, just happened here in the United States and it's called the court that's not supreme. Uh, they've done some pretty weird things over the last few days. And so one of them is that they, um, they have decided to uh, take down Roe, which is a big, big deal for women's rights here in this country. So how has this responded and what does it have to do with bicycles? Well, let's talk about that a little bit because I've got some good information here. This past weekend, it was the Women's Pro Cycling um, U.S. Pro Nationals race that happened this weekend. And the women pro cyclists took a knee during the national anthem. We're going to see a lot more of this. This is, um, they did it to protest the abortion ruling. The start line of the U.S. National Championship Road and Criterium turned into a silent protest after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, and there's a, there's a fairly incredible picture here. If you go to my Bicycle Talk Facebook page, you can click on the link and it will get you over to the article that uh, I have posted here. It's through Cycling, uh, the website Cycling. And most of the women's elite field at the U.S. Pro Championships in Knoxville, Tennessee, took a knee during the singing of the U.S. National Anthem at both the Criterium Race on Friday and again at the Road Race on Sunday to protest the abortion ruling of the U.S. Supreme Court on June 24th. Following the time trial races on Thursday, Criterium racers got their chance 
uh, to buy for the Stars and Stripes on Friday evening. After a day off, the road race concluded the national championships on Sunday. Protests started with an Instagram message uh, that said, everyone in Knoxville, Tennessee for the U.S. championships were organizing for a moment of solidarity for the turning of Roe v. Wade this, Wade this morning. The plan is to take a knee during the national anthem, spread the word. Like the rest of America, Knoxville woke up this morning with the news that the U.S. Supreme Court had overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, a 50-year-old law that granted women the right to abortion across the United States, not to mention the right to make their own decisions on health care. My comment. The national championship is a symbol for, of patriotism, and it was obviously a really tragic moment for women in this country. What happened today. I think the as athletes, we're role models to younger women, but we are also role models to the entire world. And I think it's important for us to speak our minds and make a statement with what we're doing here. This is the biggest cycling event in the United States all year long. Um, that So to make the statement to stand behind something that most of us believe in, I think it's really important. So anyway, that that happened. That was kind of a big deal. It's not the only big deal out there. There's a lot of outrage in our country right now because of this, which is very unfortunate. But, you know, this happens. Um, and let's see here. Where did this... I think I just lost my link. Oh, there it is. Um, so there's a few things that have come out on Streets Blog, which is a wonderful site to get more information about bicycling, walking, transit, car culture, micromobility, and mobility justice. Um, and I often will bring quotes in from Streets Blog because I, I think they've got very good and interesting, viable information. We've talked a lot about how cities are rebuilding themselves with bicycling, and there's all sorts of good stuff going on here. But um, anyway, uh, let's make sure I get the right one here. That was that one. Okay, sorry about that. Open up. Here we go. So, um, row overturned. Transportation will now play an even greater role in healthcare. Well, what does this mean? Okay, so America, you know, we're a very auto-centric transportation system. We people have cars. That's how they get around. Uh, they drive great distances to go places and do things, and it becomes, uh, it's an expensive way to get around. It really is. The bicycle is obviously a much better way to get around because it costs a lot less money, and we talked about the wear and tear it does on the highways and all that, too. You know, it's just it's more of a practical answer. Um, and then folks that are, um, we the biggest, the biggest problem that we have here uh, is the vulnerable groups, all right? And when we get into cities and we do things like that, we find that um, a lot of the cities have mass transportation. They'll have subway systems, bus systems, and ways for people to get around. But um, the, one, of the mean, one of the main reasons why is because it is, it's much easier than driving around in a car because cars are ridiculous when you get into cities. But um, it also helps with the vulnerable groups, people of color, low-income people, and the young. And they are comprising the groups of people that just don't drive at all. They just don't drive. They use the mass transportation. My son's one of them. My son lives in Chicago, and he's, you know, he has no interest in an automobile. 
if he needs one, he can rent one. That's that's his <clears throat> that's his feeling, and probably most of his millennial friends are the same way, because that's kind of the the what we've created here. So anyway, the um, problem is that when you take a look at at all the states that have decided to um, implement this law or go by this national law who are all celebrating over this and good for you for celebrating over it. I don't understand, but that's if that makes you happy, that's wonderful. Um, it's not wonderful because what happens is we have 22 states with laws in the books that trigger a total abortion ban now that Roe v. Wade is reversed, and four more are considered highly likely to adopt bans of their own. Those states include some of America's largest by total landmass, and many are also located in sprawling transit poor regions where many neighboring states are, are also expected to enact abortion plans, the phenomenon experts refer to as abortion deserts. Uh, for residents of those communities, that means the average distance to specialized clinics where 95% of documented pregnancy terminations are now performed would multiply to unprecedented levels, fu uh, functioning, rendering care inaccessible to untold numbers. Uh, just to give you an idea, those states include, all right, Louisiana, the average one-way travel distance to the nearest provider could swell to 630 miles or a 1,720% increase over the current averages. In Florida, 567 miles, which would be a 6,803% increase. Texas, 525 miles, a 3,017% increase. Mississippi, 428 miles, a 638% increase. Utah, 247 miles, an 837% increase. So those are pretty stunning averages. They, um, that, that, is, that is something that's going to be very, very difficult to do. I, if, if, if you are a, um, a pregnant woman and you need to get medical attention, which can no longer legally be done within, you know, at your local hospital, because there's fear of arrests and convictions of those who are actually helping you, you would literally have to drive hundreds and hundreds of miles to get there. But if you don't have a car, you're not going to ride your bike. It's a long bike ride. It's a really long bike ride. So this is kind of a big issue. And it's, it, it's a very, very sad, sad case and a very sad day. And I still don't know why um, we allow, um, how do I put this? That how we allow uh, men to make decisions for women's health care. That's just a little bizarre. I mean, women don't make decisions for men. Well, actually, they probably do. I probably am in better health because of having a woman in my life than I am with not having a woman in my life because she'll push me off to the doctor to get something done. But um, so maybe that's not exactly a great case to have here. But I will say that, you know, it, it's it just doesn't seem right that that could happen. Men should be able to get pregnant. That would help. 
Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe Wade triggered a cascade of statewide laws on Friday that will increase the average round-trip distance to re uh, required to reach the closest legal abortion care provider from 50 miles to a stagger staggering 250 miles. By the way, just so you know, just so you know, if a woman has a miscarriage and she needs medical attention, this may not be something that she can achieve. That's part of what happens here. Um, and I know because I, um, in my previous marriage, I was uh, with a, a woman who had two miscarriages. And I know my mom had two miscarriages. You need medical attention, but that's no longer going to be legal. So that's, that's kind of an issue. It's a real, real big problem. So um, the average distance uh, to an in-person abortion provider before the Dobbs rule was 25 miles. And the average patient um, distance a patient actually traveled in person was 34 miles in large part because of the nearest available clinic on the map either did not or could not meet the patient's needs. So anyway, there's no more 15-minute cities in post-row America. This is it. It's like we're, we're, we're running into a huge problem. We're putting women in an extreme amount of danger um, health-wise. It's a sad day. What's it got to do with bicycles? It's got a lot to do with bicycles. Bicycles are all about health and well-being, health and fitness. Um, they're all about the mobility and the ability to get to where you need to get to when you need to have some health care. Bicycles pay, play a really, really strong role in this. So it's. Um, I felt it was important that I brought it up, and I'm glad I did. So that's it. We're going to move on to my next subject. I've covered it, and I think that it's really... Um, again, it's just a really sad day. I have, um, a lot of friends out there, a lot of women friends out there that are, um, pretty distraught over this and, um, as they should be, as they should be. They just had a right taken away that they have had for the last 50 years. Very sad. So what else do we have here? We've got more. We've got, um, the up and coming, big feature of bicycling that everyone looks forward to every year. And what is that? It is the Tour de France. And I talk about the Tour de France all the time, but as we get closer, it's as we're, as you're listening to this program right now, it's either four or two days away because it's four days. If you're listening to the live broadcast that I'm doing right now, and when this does go onto the air on WHUS, you will see that we're two days away from July 1st, because it starts on July 1st, which is really, really cool. So we've got a big race coming up. The biggest one, the biggest, really the biggest and most spectacular bicycle race in the world is the Tour de France. It has the most media coverage. It's a really big deal. And um, there's a lot of big deal things going on with the Tour this year. Mark Cavendish. Mark Cavendish. Let's talk about Mark a little bit. Okay, so Mark is having a what what's he 37 years old now i think is what he is um heck of a sprinter you know he he tied with eddie Merckx for the number of wins in the tour de france a year ago that was really cool um this year i think he's riding better than he was riding last year i i really do and the man is smart he has one of the 
best trains in the in the in the business to pull them over the line. They're they're the lead out people are are spectacular. Unfortunately, he also has a competitor on that team, which is very fast. And so the team has made a um, they have made a decision that they're not going to let Mark ride in the Tour de France this year. The other one that we are going to miss is going to be, um, and I'll get on to Mark here in just a minute. The other one we're going to miss is going to be my all-time favorite, the world champion, Julian Alaphilippe. He'll miss out as he continues his recovery from a crash that he had at Lege Baston Lege. So um, Julian's out, Mark Cavendish is out, and this is where, um, you know, I need to talk about this a little bit because... It's, uh, this guy is, he's good for the business, so to speak. You know, he's just, he's a great sprinter. He's an interesting personality. He's never been like, I, I've seen other sprinters in the, uh, in the years that I've been watching bike racing. And quite honestly, they're not too pleasant to deal with. They've got huge egos and they've got, you know, they've just got some, some public issues that they go through and and they become a little bit of uh they they have kind of a prima donna thing you know i don't think mark's got that i think mark's just kind of got his thing he does and yeah you know he's he's the best there was for years and years and years so you can't really take that away from him so but but here's the thing he just won the national championships in great britain yeah he just won the national championships. So he he loves the nationals. Sensational Cavendish storms to British road race title. At 37 years of age, he just won his national championships. Let's see if I have this in here. Um, thought I had pulled a link on this. Um, so... I know... Mark says, I know if I went to the Tour de France, I'd win. Okay, he makes a case for the selection after coming, becoming the British champion. Mark Cavendish made his case for the Tour de France selection at the British Championships on Sunday, both on the road and in his winner's post-race interview. The, the Manx man produced an all-action display to claim the second road race national title career title of his career, attacking from the early kilometers before eventually prevailing in a three-up sprint. It was a clear indication of his form five days out from the Tour de France, but the likelihood is he won't even be on the start line. Despite winning four stages and tying Eddie Merckx's record of 34 last year, every indication is that Fabio Jacobson will take the sprinter spot for the quick-step Alpha Vinyl team. After pulling on the national champion's jersey, Cavendish was asked about the tour, which gets underway in Copenhagen on Friday. I feel so much better than I did last year, and you know what happened last year. I won four stages of the Tour de France and the green jersey, he said. It's unlikely I'll go to the Tour de France, so I might as well use it today at, as use it today and at least show that the reason I'm not going to the tour is not because I've got bad form. While acknowledging his tour participation as unlikely, Cavendish nevertheless explained that it hadn't been def definitely ruled out and things are still up in the air. Mm, don't think they're up in the air anymore, but that's, you know, we'll see. You never know. 
Things, stranger things have happened. I haven't had a call from team, from team one way or the other, and I don't know. Normally, you get a call to say that you're going or not going, but uh, but this time I haven't had anything, so I'm trying to stay optimistic with that. But he says we'll see. As his performance on the roads of Scotland hadn't been clear enough, he left no doubt about how he sees both his form and what could he could offer at the tour. You can see my condition that I'm in good enough. I'm in good enough shape to do the tour. I know if I'd went, I'd win a stage. He said. I know the other guys in the team would go, would who would go for the win. I'm just happy with whatever. So anyway, that's it. Marks out. Shame, real shame. Um, again, a gentleman, uh, a, an interesting character for sure, in in uh, the Tour de France, and we're gonna miss him because, you know, he's uh, he's definitely a highlight. Now, you know, things could change in the next couple of days. I doubt it's going to happen. I very much doubt it's going to happen. Jacobson is just a, a, a superior sprinter. He's just a brilliant sprinter. And I don't think he's as smart as Mark is, but he is definitely more powerful. He's younger, faster, stronger. Now, what can you say? We get old. We get slow. It happens. It happens. It's happened to all of us. So, and it will happen to you, believe it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, it will happen to you. So anyway, that's, that's one of the sad things about the Tour de France, but let's go to the interesting thing about the Tour de France this year. Pagacha versus Rogelique. What do you think? What do you think? Uh, Pagacha is like a monster. He's 22, what, 22 years old, about to turn 23. I think he turned 20, I think he was 21 when he won last year. It was it's crazy. He's young, strong. Uh, he is, um, he's just an amazing, talented climber and rider. And so is Primoz Roglic. And they're both Slovenian and they've been just, you know, untouchable in a lot of the races they go in. If you watched um, uh, the uh, uh, the Dauphiné, I mean, Rosalique was, you know, he won it. And yeah, he was getting a little tired towards the end for sure. He definitely did not show his best form on that final stage, but he did, um, he did do, he did do well enough to win the Criterium de Dauphiné, so there's that going on. And then, of course, um, Pagacha has been winning most everything that he's been entering himself in, too, so they're both going to go back-to-back, -back and this is going to be interesting. The real question here, I think, is who's got the best team? And if I'm going to sort that out between the two of them, I am probably going to put my my uh, eggs in the in the Roselique basket because the Yumbo team is looking pretty good these days. I mean, they just they have some amazing riders. Jonas Fingergaard, oh my God, he's like he there. There's your new next young talent coming in. He's amazing. If he stays with that team next year. I would be super surprised. I don't know what his contract's like or whatever, but somebody's going to grab him because he is he is really strong and really talented. 
and he should probably be on a different team, but he is going to be working for Primos. So you know what? If he does what he did for him in the Dauphiné, they're they're gonna they're gonna work together, and there's gonna be an appreciation for one another, like there was at the end when Rojlik, you know, basically gave him gave him the the okay to cross the finish line and win the stage, the last stage, um, which was the right thing to do because he was certainly much stronger and he certainly made the difference in that race. But um, and he could have probably taken the overall stage himself because he was in a break. So um, I love bike racing. The, the, the teamwork, the camaraderie, everything about it is very, very interesting. Uh, so Pagacha just won the Tour of Slovenia, and he was in a very comfortable position there. He did not have a major test of any kind there, I don't think. Um, and... He's got a, also, he's got uh, Rafael Majka, who um, is on his team. So it, it's like, you know, it's, it's, there's there's some interesting stuff going on. So the UA team, Emirates, could also has a very good team this year. Notice we're not talking about uh, Ineos or Sky or whatever they used to be, whatever they were anymore. It's kind of interesting. Kind of kind of drifted away. Don't second guess that one. They could be there too. No question about it. It's a very strong team and a very good program. They got a lot of money behind them and they got a lot of talent behind them. So we're not done yet. But I think the two to watch are going to be Rojlik and Pagacha. I think that this is going to be the um, this is going to be the big race. And it's going to make the race very, very interesting. So here's the thing. Primos, don't fall off your bike, please. Please don't fall off your bike. You know, that took him out last year. He had a bad crash and that was the end of that. And he was in great form and everything was really good. But um, so this is interesting. Intriguingly, the two riders have only faced off against each other um, all once all season at the Milan St. Remo, where they both missed out on a victory to another Slovenian. And that was Matej uh, Mohoric. Mohoric. And so from Bahran Victorious, another great team. Another great team. There's just, there's just a lot of good stuff going on in bicycle racing line right now. Lots of talent. Lots of interesting young riders. Um, you know, Pagacha started out racing as a pro at 19 and he was just killing everything. Uh, you know, there, there's just so many good things coming up and I can't wait. It's four days away, four days away from the time of this broadcast, uh, two days if you're listening to it at WHUS. So, um, figure it out, figure out what you got, um, to be able to watch the tour. Um, if you have to buy, a, a, a month's subscription to something just so you can get it, please do it. It's worth it. It's definitely worth it. Uh, it's it's one of the better cycling events, one of the best, I will say, cycling events that you will watch on on uh, television. And uh, the coverage is just tremendous. The coverage is is really really good for the Tour de France because it's the money maker. It's the one that they get the most um, interest in, and the most people mo more people watch the Tour de France than watch World Cup soccer. And that's kind of amazing in itself because World Cup soccer is ridiculously 
popular and um, not in a bad way. But anyway, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. Tour de France. Yay. Can't wait. It's a beautiful thing. I feel really bad for Mark. Um, I'd love to see him there because he really does belong there. Uh, but that's that's what we got to deal with there. That's all there is to it. Um, so we're going to move on down here. I'm actually going to go right on down to events. and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on events today because we've got some stuff coming up also that's really big. One of them is one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> You're going to love this. Um, it's an event which happened 37 years ago in Willimantic, which is where I had my bicycle shop. And I got a phone call from a person who was organizing a parade that they were going to do for the 4th of July. I had no interest in a 4th of July parade. It's the middle of the summer. I am flat out busy doing 70 hour weeks and just working on bikes like crazy because it's the bicycle business in July and it's beautiful and everybody wants their bike. Not today, yesterday. So, you know, you're super, super busy. And my friend Kathy Clark calls me up and says, hey, Ron, I need your help. And I said, what, what do you got, Kathy? You need to have bike fix? And she goes, no. She goes, I got this parade coming up and it's a crazy idea and somebody got a hold of it at the New York Times and they wrote about it and when they wrote about it it made it to all the major news networks and we've got ABC, CBS and NBC coming up with full camera crews and broadcast crews to film and broadcast about our parade. I said, in Willimantic. And she goes, yeah, it's called the Boombox Parade. She explained it to me what it is. And I am actually on the uh, WILI, which is the local radio station. Um, I'm on their website right now. So it goes back to, in 1986, no marching band could be found for a Wyndham's Memorial Day Parade. Five weeks later, the Boombox Parade concept was born. And as WILI AM radio played marching band music on the air, and thousands of people marched and watched, loudly playing their radios or boomboxes. No other town has had a parade like this. Um, anyone can march. You can enter in any way. So she said, just please show up, do something, do anything. I said, I can't do anything like this quick. And, and so I uh, ended up putting my, my, uh, my ex-wife, Kathy, and my dog on a refrigerator dolly. And I pulled them down the street on my mountain bike. And that's what we did. And that was the first year of the Boombox Parade. And ever since, I've been in the Boombox Parade in some sort of bicycle manner or another. Very rarely have I missed it. A couple of years maybe, but very rarely. So um, this thing goes on for as long as it goes on until the parade is over. Lots of people show up. There's political statements made. There's other statements made. It's just a really fun time. And if you are in Willimantic for the 37th annual Boombox Parade, please let me know and uh, you can join me because I will be riding my bicycle in the Boombox Parade this year. So that's a big thing. July 4th. Yay, July 4th. Good fun. Uh, what else do I have here? The other thing on my, um, on my list of, um, events, we have the Thread City Century, which is coming up on July 31st. 
and uh, that's with the Thread City Cyclers, our local club. And there's a 102-mile ride, an 84-mile ride, a 66-mile ride, and a 43-mile ride, all stopping, starting and stopping from Garrison Park in Chaplin. Very nice little location, really, really cool. So, um, and that will be on, um, let's see, day of event is, come on now, you guys got to have the day of event on here. Hello. Day of event is July 31st. So mark it on your calendar if you're interested. I'll be talking about it in the events for the next number of shows until we get there. So we will talk a little bit more about that. And that's what we're going to do. So uh, Tour of Litchfield Hills is on August 7th, 2022. The Steeplechase Ride, Walk, and uh, Bicycle Ride and Walk, which is a big, big fundraiser here in Willimantic. Um, once again, that's Saturday, August 20th, and we have a 20-mile road cycling ride, a 35-mile road cycling ride, a 62.5-mile ride, Metric Century, an 18-mile rail trail ride, which is new this year, and a five-mile walk, which is actually a tour of parks in Willimantic, and you, you walk for a little over five miles, and you get to tour nine different parks in, in uh, five and a half miles. Very friendly, friend, family friendly, lots of fun. Hope to see you there. I will be announcing that event this year. So if you want to stop by, stop by. Um, so finishing points, SUVs, pickups, hip pedestrians, more than cars do. Really? Bicycle Talk has been on the air for over five years. Hey, that's big news. And just before my first show, I looked at Fran and said, I hope I have enough to talk about. <sighs> Okay, enough said. Uh, where does your town stand with uh, people people for bikes? Um, you know, just uh, try to do what you can. Maybe you get on the list the next time. You never know. A court is, uh, Supreme is very debatable. Anyway, the Tour de France is just days days and hours away. I'll say it again. This won't be my last time. Get loud, get active. Our time has come. Stop complaining about traffic, dangerous roads, price of gas, the lack of places to safely ride your bike, and join the revolution of change. Remember, when presenting to your local governments, come with solutions, not complaints or problems. Positive beats negative every time. Please support your local bike shop. Uh, the uh, respect one another. It's 2022. Initiate, participate, ride your bike, tell everyone you know. The views expressed on this program do not reflect the views of the staff, management, or licensee of the station. And you have been listening to Bicycle Talk right here without my, my co-host, Fran Storch. She'll be back next time. And um, I'm, we talk about Bicycles, bicycle culture, bicycle advocacy, upcoming news in cycling, the bicycle business. If you want to contribute information to the show or have an idea, just tag it here on my Facebook page, or you can also send me an email at bicycletalk, the numeral one, at gmail.com. This is Pedal and Ron. Remember, keep the rubber side down and the wind at your back. Get out and ride your bike. It really could save your life. Thank you for listening. Take care.